Well, we're glad you're with us this morning. Um, if you're visiting for the first time, my name is Joel, and we are excited that you are with us. Um, we are going to jump into a brand new series this morning, and it is one I think that is timely. We were uh, going to be in Jonah, but I thought this might be a better way to go for now, and so we will find Jonah at some point. Um, the plan is to be here for a couple weeks, and then that will lead us right into fall. As we go into fall, we're going to go back into 1 Corinthians and talk about spiritual gifts and things like that. So that's going to be an opportunity for us to really um, not only know our giftings, but also know one another and just excited for that. And so this morning, uh, jumping in, we're beginning with a new series. It's called What to Do When You Don't Know What to Do. And that key word that seems to be on everyone's mind right now is uncertain, right? There's a lot of uncertainty right now. Uh, from press conferences that I heard this week to living room conversations, it's a word that everyone is not just saying. I feel like uncertainty is what everybody is feeling right now. Uncertain about jobs, uncertain about school choices, uncertain about church moves, and uncertain even some are uncertain about their retirement. Uh, I talked to a guy this week who I was two years away from retirement, and they let him go because of COVID. And so he was like, I was two years away. And so just hearing a lot of those frustrations and things that are going on in their minds, it's, it's hard. And uncertainty is something that may be a foreign concept to us in the States, because if you're like me, everything is pretty much certain. Like my Amazon orders are certain, right? I can, I can hit, hit send, and I can hit uh, order now, and I know in two days or a day, I'm going to have it on my porch. It's an amazing thing. And I think as we as Americans have gotten so used to certainty, when we hit these kind of times, it's like, wait a second. I thought everything was guaranteed. Everything was meant to just happen. And now we have so many things that are indeed out of our control. No longer can we say if we planned it, we can control it because that's just not there. So not only uncertain, but I feel like some of us may feel kind of stuck right now um, in a fog, tired, maybe even a bit lost in this time we're in. And in case you were unaware of why we are all in this room feeling this way and your neighbors are feeling this way, is the fact that we are almost six months in. We're, we're five, I think, almost six months in to what uh, Andy Stanley in uh, a sermon he gave recently said this. We are in the middle of this, a pandemic combined with economic shutdown that's left us teetering on economic meltdown while navigating social unrest during an election year. So in case you're wondering why you feel so tense, just read that statement again and again and again. You're kind of like, oh, that's why I feel so anxious and so unknown. We've never been here before. Add that to a summer where your kids are all home. Uh, Vacations have been interrupted and postponed, and every day things continue to change. And here's the reality. We've, like I said, we've never been here before. You've never been here before. And if you're like me, I feel as if I should know what to do, even if I haven't been here before. I feel like I should just know how to navigate this. But here's the hope for this series. This series will address, I think, those feelings of uncertainty. It will tell us what to do when we feel uncertain. And the series will be uh, far more topical. We're not going to kind of go through a book of the Bible. We're going to kind of find some stories here and there as we work through this series. So it'll be a little different in how we approach sermons. Um, But instead, we're going to look at these different passages. And again, all going back to what do I do when I don't know what to do? And so this series will also be one that hopefully will be a bit encouraging for you on a Sunday morning. Um, I would encourage you, these are there in the back, these are there for you because I'm hoping that through this series it's a little more engaging. And so there's not any scripture or anything, it's just blank notes. And what I'm going to do is 
throughout these couple series on, uh, through the Sundays that we're here. I'm going to just ask you to bring that because we're going to have some things we're going to write down and some journal things we're going to be working through. There's going to be one Sunday that we're going to look at kind of our past, and I want you to be able to kind of jot some things down. So if you can bring those with you, or if you have something that you find better, use that. That's great. But we're going to hopefully be a little more engaged this morning and along this, this series. So I'm praying it will center us. It will help us navigate through this weird time. And again, this morning we begin with this one big idea. Uncertain times may require more clarity, not more certainty. Okay? So there's a difference between something being certain and something being clear. I can be clear and still not 100% certain something's going to happen. And so we're going to talk about that in the story of Moses and the Israelites, as Seth was mentioning earlier. But before we go there, let me just pray for us this morning, and then we're going to jump right in to this morning. Father, we realize that none of this has taken you by surprise. None of this is shocking to you. None of this is outside of your design. And so even though I or we may fight this and we can wonder what in the world is going on, we know that you are in control. We know that you have purposely ordained these kind of times for us. God, I pray that it would be an encouragement in the midst of all this that you have called us individually and corporately as a body into this time. You could have chosen anybody to be in this pandemic, and whether we like it or not, you chose us. And so we pray that we would learn what we need to learn from you, and we would hear you this morning and how you communicate through your word. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. So uncertainty uh, came into real focus. I don't know if you've ever been lost before, like really lost. Like not kind of like I don't know where I'm at. My GPS kind of sent me this way. I mean like lost. Um, There's a whole level of stress in being lost. There's a whole other level of stress when you feel as if you've lost your entire student ministry and they're all dead. Okay, so just, just uh, that's the premise. So we decide as a youth ministry to, uh, my last stint, and we decided it'd be a great idea to take our kids canoeing. This, this was going to be just a relaxing canoe trip, and it was going to be great. So first off, let me just say, if you ever go canoeing, don't. Okay, it's just, it's miserable. There's no good thing that comes out of canoeing, especially if you go with people who've never canoed before, because all it is is ping pong. It's just bank to bank to bank to bank to bank. That's all it is. And so we decide we're going to go canoeing. It's going to be great. And so I got all these kids in canoes. They've never canoed before. They're hitting banks. They're hitting banks. And the water's like this deep. They're scraping the bottom. We're pushing canoes. We're like, this is great. This is so glad that we did this. And so along the way, we're in these metal canoes and we're pushing pushing them down, actually near Zor. And uh, I had some leaders who were with me, and they, they were the ones that kind of knew the route. I didn't really know the route. I was just kind of taking on the back. Like, I was just making sure everybody was pushing forward down this creek. It was supposed to be a river, but it was far more of a creek. I mean, it was ridiculous. So we're pushing down this thing, and all of a sudden, like, I'm probably like halfway through the trip, and I realize that I can't see anybody else in front of me, probably for a good half mile. I mean, they're just gone. And I'm assuming there's leaders with them, but I'm not certain there's leaders with them, and they're just gone. Well, that's somewhat nerve-wracking, but the big nerve-wracking part came when I start to see black clouds come in, right? And these black clouds start forming, and not the kind that are kind of just like a gray, like a dark cloud, like I'm talking like tornado kind of cloud, starts forming. And all of a sudden we hear, there's lightning. And all of a sudden I'm like, what? And all of a sudden like lightning hits like 
probably a while, like a ways, but it felt really close. And so all of a sudden, all these kids who are bank to bank to bank are now on this side of the bank going, what do I do? And I'm just like, get out. Everybody get out. And so everybody's running to the bank. They're throwing like their stuff out. One kid's like out of the canoe. His life jacket's like trailing behind. He's just like high stepping into the bank. He left his canoe. And I'm like, so I'm grabbing the canoe, I'm dragging it on, I'm putting the canoes up. All of a sudden, the canoes are on the side of the bank, and all of a sudden, I realize as the canoe hits the top of the bank, I've only got half my youth ministry with me. I have no idea where the other half went. So somewhere along the line, we decided it's a great idea for all the leaders and the students who are there with me to walk and find the other leaders. It was a terrible idea. They decide to walk because we have no idea where they're at. We assume they're okay, but then one kid goes, hey, aren't there rapids up there? (laughs) There weren't, but when you hear that, you're like, yes, there are class five rapids in Ohio in Zor. That's exactly what is ahead of us. So they're gone. They're walking up there. And I can tell you, That was just the beginning. That's not even the lost part. Okay, so the lost part happens when they're all gone. I'm by myself in a canoe trying to make sure there's no dead bodies floating in this little creek. I'm like literally paddling going, I'm going to find one. It's going to be a life jacket. It's going to be a thing. I've lost my job. I don't know how I'm going to sustain my family. I got little kids at home. I mean, I'm just panicking, freaking out. This was, I think, my first ever legitimate panic attack in this kind of, and I'm like, I have no idea where everybody's at. There's rapids ahead. They're all dead. Lightning has struck them. And as I'm paddling, it's just eerily quiet, and I don't see anybody for a long time. Now, if you've been there and you've been lost, you're kind of like, I'm okay if I see people, and I kind of know my surroundings. No people no surroundings, just trees and a creek. And I feel like I've been on the water for an hour and a half. It was probably like 10 minutes, but I felt like it was an hour and a half. And I start freaking out. I lose perspective. I lose everything. And I don't know what to do. And all of a sudden, I keep paddling and paddling. And just about the point where I'm like, they're all dead. I've lost my job. Eventually, I'm going to find them. And I don't know how I'm going to get everybody back and, and, and body bags to, this, to the church, but it's going to have to figure it out. And as soon as like I've hit that moment of pure panic and I just feel like everything's a loss, I feel like just throwing the oar in there and being like, just take me like down the river through the rapids because it's over. The moment, this is the best, this is totally youth ministry. The moment I hit a clearing, I see a McDonald's sign in the, in the, uh, in the horizon. You know, the one down by New Philly. I see that in the horizon. I'm like, salvation has come through golden arches. And I'm like, at least I can make a call because I didn't have my phone. And so I'm, I'm there, and I get the—this is so bad. I get the canoe on the thing. I barely get it on the bank, and I slip and fall in the mud, and, I, and I'm, like, covered from here down in mud. I yank the canoe on, and I'm like, I'm going to go to McDonald's and call for help because I have no idea where everybody's at. So I'm trudging through this open field— getting to the McDonald's. And as I'm trudging through the field, I hear a truck and I hear laughter and I see on the horizon the entire youth group in the back of a pickup truck with my leaders driving going like, this is awesome. And I'm like, I never wanted to kill more kids in my life. I just, and I was like, thankful they're alive. But part of me was like, I, I really am going to hurt someone. And, and it was from that point on that if you talk to those leaders and you've talked to me, if they ever bring up the canoe trip, that's what we're talking about. It was literally the worst, one of the worst things I've ever been through. And it was a moment I really felt lost. 
And in the moment of clarity, the only moment of clarity came when in the middle of that panic attack, I was able to just stop and to breathe and to kind of get my bearings and just kind of look around and say, okay, we're okay. We're going to make it. Eventually, I'm going to find these kids. Eventually, they're going to be there. And, And everything ended up working out fine. They actually were off the river far faster than I was off the river. They started to worry about me at some points. But ultimately, everything was was going crazy. But in the middle of it, there was that moment in the midst of uncertainty where I had to stop and to breathe and to get my bearings. And being lost was the feeling that I had, but it was also the feeling that the Israelites had in the Old Testament— And just a quick summary of where they were at this point. Israel was not yet a nation at this point in history, which we're going to find out here. They had about, they had people that God had raised up while they were in captivity. So in Egypt, they went from a small family in Genesis to when they went to Egypt, there was about 2.3 million of these Jewish people that Moses was going to lead into the promised land and they were going to leave. They had law that Moses gave them in Exodus and was written down on two stone tablets. And now they were about to enter the land and become a full-fledged nation. So in order to become a nation, you need people, land, and law, right? And so they had the people, they had the law, and they needed the land, and they were almost in the land that they were supposed to be at. And so they had been wandering, though, before they'd gotten to this land, they'd been wandering in the desert for 40 years, and somehow along the way, they had gone from 2.3 million to what the Bible says is 630,000 of them traveling around for 40 years. I had a small youth group, uh, especially in that trip, I can't imagine leading 630,000 people in the desert, right? If one guy complains and that feeds through the entire thing, it's one thing in a small group of of people. It's a whole other thing if you've got grumbling that's happening at a 630,000 level, right? So 630,000 of them are are walking through. You get that number out of Numbers chapter 2, verses 32 to 33. But during this wandering, they're uncertain about the destination. They're uncertain about being provided for. They're uncertain about being settled. They're uncertain about their leadership. Like, who called Moses to be leader over us? They're uncertain about God's goodness. And so I just want you to take a second as we jump into this text. Before we jump in, I want you to write down one thing, and that is this. I want you to think of that one area that you feel the most uncertain about. What is the thing— For me, it was losing kids in a river. For Moses, it was leading people around in 40 years. What is that thing that you feel like is just so out of control? I'm going to give you a second. Write that down. What do you feel uncertain about? I am uncertain about what? Give you a little second time to do that. All right, there may be a couple more things to come up this morning, but I wanted to kind of put that out there because there's something about this series that I don't want you just to kind of run through the series. I want you to think through this process. God, I am most uncertain about. And you could have one thing, you could have six things. I don't know what you have, but I would just be, just be honest and put those things down because that is what we're going to be going after this morning. So Moses, again, going back to the story, was the kind of leader that we need right now. We need to study him because Moses often felt unqualified, insecure, and at times he got really, really angry. And yet through all this uncertainty, he does the right thing. In Numbers chapter 14, which is where our text is going to be, where we start this morning. In Numbers chapter 14, you can turn there. we are going to look at this story from Moses' life where the people of Israel felt uncertain and Moses had to lead them through this uncertainty. 
So in Numbers chapter 14, we're going to see him seeking God's wisdom. We're going to see him wrestling with God's decisions. And he stopped often and would not move until God gave him a green light. And in the middle of 40 years of wandering, Moses reminds us that great leaders lead through uncertain times, not with certainty, but with clarity. And I think especially here, you're going to see some clarity that, that comes to mind as they walk through the story. So in Numbers 14, we hear the story of what happens when wandering for so long and seeing the promised land in sight, they still rebel. So Numbers chapter 14, we're going to look be, beginning in verses 1 through 4. Okay, so again, they, they've been called to the promised land. They've seen the promised land. Joshua and Caleb have gone into the promised land. If you don't know the story, they're sent in to spy on the land and say, what kind of land are we getting? They come back. They say, this is going to be great. This is the place God's promised. This is going to work out for us. And the people freak out. 630,000 of them, they hear the news and they don't believe it. So, Verse four, or chapter 14, verse 1. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and all the people wept that night. Let's just stop there just for a second here, because I think this is important. When we say the idea of people crying out and wept all night, this is interesting. In the Hebrew, th- these, these two terms are put out there, and I, I say this to give you kind of the perspective of how much is going on here. Normally, in Hebrew writing and in the Old Testament, normally one of two synonyms expressions would be used for how they're feeling, okay? So they raised their voice and they cried all night. Those are, two, those are two different phrases used specifically in this chapter to give you the feel of how out of control this was. To give you an idea, both are, this is out of a, a commentary called New American uh, Commentary. It says both are used in context of lament in the Old Testament. So both those phrases are used in lament in the Old Testament. The former phrase is used of Hagar lifting her voice as she wept over the potential death of Ishmael after they had been driven into the desert by Sarah and is used of Esau's bitter outcry after he found out that his brother Jacob had received the family blessing from Isaac. That's the first phrase. The latter phrase is employed in Joseph's weeping before his brothers when he revealed his identity to them in Egypt as well as Jeremiah's lament over the wicked reign of Jehoiakim. In the present context, though, the two phrases are merged into one expression of such an intense lament that the people bemoaned their situation brought upon by themselves by their unbelief in God and the promise of his power. So this isn't just kind of one lament. The author's trying to get you to understand this is like, these are people that have drawn to despair. They are utterly, they are just utterly compelled by this anxiety and they have no idea what to do, that they're raising a loud cry and they're weeping all night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt or would that we had died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives, our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And then finally in verse four, and they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Let's get rid of Moses. Let's get rid of Aaron. Let's get rid of Joshua. Let's get rid of Caleb. This four-headed leadership isn't working for us. We just need to get rid of all of them, and we just need to go and go back to Egypt. This is just terrible. As a leader in that situation, what do you do? There's a mutiny forming, and there's 630,000 of them, and there's one of you. Okay, and there's 630,000 of them, and you've got a band of four guys. You're kind of like, what do we do, God? Where do we go? As a leader, in the midst of uncertainty, there's a pressure that you feel that I feel. 
And if you're a good leader, you feel the pressure of, I'm a good leader, I should know exactly what to do. That's why I get paid the big bucks, right? That's why the company pays me what I do. I am, as I said before, the chief problem solver, so I just need to fix this problem so we can move on. Leaders, we believe, are supposed to be able to stand up at any given moment and give direction with absolute certainty. We have this weight that we have to know every outcome for our kids. We have this weight that we have to know every outcome of choosing that school for this fall, and we've made the right choice. And if we don't have the right choice in our mind, we feel like there's this weight that we're like, I'm a terrible parent if I chose in the wrong way, or, or the job, or the project, or whatever it is. We feel the weight as if every outcome is on our shoulders. And this is probably linked to the sense that we cannot or maybe should not fail as leaders, right? I have to know exactly what to do. I have to be certain because if I fail, then there's something wrong. If we fail, we should be punished, whatever. But here's the reality. You are going to make mistakes every single day during this crisis. You are not going to make the right call every single time. You're not going to lead well every single week. You're not going to lead well every single month. You're going to make mistakes, and mistakes are awesome. This is coming from a guy who hates that phrase, but it's true. Mistakes are awesome because it's through our mistakes and our failures that we learn. If you never make a mistake, there's something wrong with you, right? If you, if you never fail, it means you're not trying hard enough. There's a joy in the mistakes because they teach us something. We may, out of enthusiasm in this leadership role, yell and try and motivate the Israelites, come on, guys, God promised us, let's go. We may fear that people will not follow us if we don't have every answer. Moses probably felt that. If I don't have every single detail of how we're going to get out of this wilderness, they're not going to follow if we give in to uncertainty and feel the pressure to be certain, we may feel this pressure and succumb and overpromise our way out. When we do this, when we overpromise with certainty, things are going to be fine, things are going to be great, things are going to be okay. We often can lose our credibility, we can lose our influence, and, and, and there's something about this that says these people don't need as much certainty right now as they need clarity. By contrast, when we say we don't know, we prove our character and we lead with authenticity. A couple things. Uncertainty is a permanent part of being a leader. Uncertainty is a permanent part of being a parent. Uncertainty will only increase over the next few months. And contrary to what you might think, uncertainty actually increases with increased leadership responsibility, not more certainty. That makes sense? The more you grow as a leader, the more uncertain things will become. Not the more I grow as a leader, the more certain things will become. You as the leader, as you grow, will continue to solve problems that are bigger and more complex than you were when you first started. And we must thrive in the midst of this. And here's the question of how do we do that? How do we become clear? We stop, we breathe, and we get some clarity. I love this. Verse 5. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. How awkward would that have been visually to see? 630,000 leading a revolt, like pitchforks in their arms, like we're going to take him out. And all of a sudden, Moses and Aaron just hit their knees and just like, we're, we're just, that's all they do. They just do this. Can you imagine? Like, the Israelites, we've killed them. We, we've absolutely killed our leaders. They, they fall, and they just start pleading for God's wisdom in the midst. Can I just 
Only imagine what that would do to the congregation at that point. They stopped, they breathed, they, they fell on their face before the assembly. And they're not just pleading for wisdom. You're going to read later, we're not going to get there today, but they're pleading for the people who are yelling at them. They are pleading that God doesn't take out this people who are angry at them. I love the restraint of Moses and Aaron. They fall on their face, they stop, and they breathe. And they understand that wisdom only comes from God. They seek the clarity. They, they know the promises that are before them. The younger leaders, Joshua and Caleb, in the midst of uncertainty, they give clarity on who they serve, verses 6 to 10. And Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephthah, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to the congregation of Israel, the land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. This is key, verse 8. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And at that point, all of Israel stood with Joshua and Caleb and said, Yes, let's go, Joshua and Caleb, forever. Let's do this. Verse 10. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. <laughs> but the glory of God appeared to the ten, the meaning of the people of Israel. Can you imagine like it's that moment of triumph as a leader? You've just given the best speech of your life. And you're like, let's do it. And the team's like, let's kill them. I mean, there's just like that dead silence. And all of a sudden, they're like, where's the stones? Let's get rid of these guys. We're, got a stone? I need a stone. Let's kill these dudes. That's the reaction they have. Through all of this, though, the clarity was Joshua saying, hey, if God has promised it, he will be faithful. If God is happy with us, if he is content with our faith and who we believe he is and how he's led us, we will get this land. There is clarity there. They stop, they breathe, and they get the clarity that they need. As leaders, this is important, as leaders, we can afford to be uncertain, but we cannot afford to be unclear. Leaders must fear a lack of clarity more than they love a love of accuracy. You can be wrong and people will continue to follow, but if you're unclear, they will eventually go somewhere else. They needed clarity, and the only clarity they could receive was from God himself. Stop, breathe, seek clarity. Uncertain times may require clarity, not just certainty. The, the bigger clarity comes not only here, but if you were to flip over to Deuteronomy chapter 4, you see that this speech that Moses gives after this thing, and they're supposed to go into the land, he gives a, some amazing truths, and he's more clear in this speech that he gives in chapter 4 of Deuteronomy. It's kind of like if, the, if Numbers 14 is the, the narrative, chapter 4 is the actual words that he said. So in chapter 4 of Deuteronomy, Moses gives this speech before they enter into the promised land, and here's a couple things he says. In, in verse 30 to 31. When you are in tribulation, talking to the people, and all these things come upon you, you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with the fathers that he swore to them. Going on to verses 32 and 33. For ask now of the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on earth. Ask from one end of the heaven to the other whether such a great thing has ever happened or was ever heard of. He basically reminds them, hey, as Israel, as a nation, think back. Has God ever done what he did for you, Israel, during this time? And he reminds them of all that God did for them. He says in verse 33, did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of a fire as you heard and still live? Nope. 
No, no other God had done that. Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation? Nope. Only our God took us out of Egypt and desired to make us into our own nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and outstretched arm, by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord did in, for you in Egypt before your eyes. Verse 35, to you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God, that there are no others beside him. Verse 36, out of heaven he let you hear his voice that he might discipline you. Any other God done that? No. Israel heard from God himself and on earth let you see a great fire and you heard his words out of the midst of that fire. Anybody else been to the mountaintop and seen the smoke? Nope. Israel, only God had been the faithful to him. And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power, verse 38, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in to give you their land for an inheritance at this day. Verse 39, know therefore today and lay it on your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth beneath, and there is no other. He says, remember your past. Remember the faithfulness. Get the clarity by looking back and seeing all that God has been faithful to you and what he has done for, for you and your family and also for us here at Community. We can trace his faithfulness. We can see it in how he's even given us a building. I've, I've spoken to many of you even when we first moved into this place. Like There has been a lot of pressure getting into the building. Like we were supposed to be in a December, if you guys remember this. It was way back. You remember way back in 2019? Do you remember that? It was a long time ago. But back when you actually went to movie theaters and ate at restaurants normally, um, way back then, we, we, we were going to get into the building by Christmas and it didn't happen. And then we were in by January. And then January hit and this place was full. And then all of a sudden we had parking issues. Do you remember that? That was fun. And we were shuttling people way back then. And then, and then all of a sudden COVID hit and we were trying to figure out some of those pieces. But in the midst of all of it, here's what I heard when we first came back together. Isn't it cool that God gave us a building when we lost the opportunity to be in a school building? And to watch the timing of God and say, I'm going to give you this building, I'm going to give you this tool, because at least for us, the beauty we have is there is no way we could have been meeting because there's no way we could have been in the school and see the faithfulness. And that's just one. The faithfulness of you all that raised funds to get the parking lot up and running. Do you remember that? When we took this thing and we said, we're going to raise some funds. We're going to get this crazy goal of $10,000. We're going to make this an insane goal. And you guys raised $9,500, right? That's insanity. The fact that many of you, when you first came to this church and we thought, is anybody ever going to come coming on five years now. Is anybody going to ever come to this church? And there was a small group of us, and, and eventually God brought more and more and more. And people who have gotten saved to this church and seeing his faithfulness again and again and again, that in the midst of uncertainty and saying, God, okay, Joel, where are we going as a church? The clarity I'm going to give you at the end, but we have seen his faithfulness again and again and again and again. And if we're not careful, we can allow what we see in the here and now to dictate who God is. That's what the Israelites did. This is who God is. We're hungry. We're tired. We don't like this desert anymore. Let's just get a new leader and let's go back to Egypt where we can have leeks and onions again. That was their theory. And, and in the midst of it, God's like, don't you remember all that happened to get you here? So let's, as a body, let's, as families, not forget all that God has done for you and your family and the prayers that have been answered along the way. Because God can be trusted this morning. 
Not only because we see it in Moses' testimony, but if you go to Hebrews chapter 3, verses 5 to 6, we read this. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. So Moses is great, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence, our boasting in our hope. If you think Moses was faithful, Jesus is faithful to the church. Jesus is faithful to us this morning. That's the clarity. That's the certainty of all uncertainties that we have. Jesus is faithful over his house, and we turn to him. He reminds us at the end of chapter 3, but exhort one another every day as long as it's called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Don't be like the Israelites who got hardened just in the middle of this and they felt like God's left us. He's never going to help us. Stop. Breathe. Get some clarity. Remember where he's taking you from, where he's taking you to. This morning, there's one big application I want to give you, and then we're going to sing a little bit on this idea of God being faithful to us in the midst of the desert places and the places we don't want to be. Let me just give you one thing. In this midst of stopping and clarity, let me give you something that's just been truly helpful and really applicable. So when we were on vacation, I was in this uh, book called um, uh, Spiritual Health, what is it called? Emotionally healthy spirituality, right? And it's the idea that we, we can take moments of our day and we can remind ourselves that God is in them. And so one of the key pieces in this thing that was super helpful to me, which may be helpful to you, is every morning there's an opportunity to just stop and actually set a timer on my watch and say, okay, two minutes, I'm going to set a timer for two minutes and I'm just going to sit in silence. I'm going to find somewhere, some way to just sit in silence. And just before I get into reading, before I get into the Word of God, I want to sit in silence and remind myself who's in charge and who's not. And I'm telling you, in those two minutes, it is beautiful, especially the last couple of days where it's just been gorgeous outside, which we're going to get there. We're almost there, I promise. We'll get you back out there. Um, it has just been refreshing to just stop and just be quiet for two minutes and allow God to speak and say, God, where are you going? Where are you going? What are we doing today? And here's the beauty, not just in the morning, but they said what we often do is we just kind of, we, we, we do our devotions and then we go on with our day, right? I had my Devo time. I got charged up. I'm ready to face the day. God gave me the energy. Let's do this. And here's what happens about 10 a.m. Where did God go? Because this life is hard and I don't want to continue on with work today. Can I just check out at 10? I don't want to wait till five or six. I just want to be done. What it, what it does is remind us, and then along the way, what I want you to do is I want you to then think process. And so in this devotional thing, it's been awesome because it says like midday or evening or right before bed. Typically for me, it's midday. There's another two minutes of silence that I just take and say, okay, two minutes, God, what are you doing? What are you active in today? Where do I need to go? And what it does is it centers me and it clarifies who's in charge of my day, and it's not me. It clarifies for me who's in charge of my day, and it reminds me to look for what God's doing in my day. How many of us actually stop and look for what God's doing in a given day, right? We just move on to the next thing, next thing, next thing. Instead of God's ordained all of our days, all of them, and to stop and to say, God, who do you have for me? What's my conversation look like today? And I'm telling you, 
as we've been praying about it, this is, sorry, this is a side note, but as we've been talking about outreach and evangelism, this week I've heard so many stories of people who said, God's just put this person right in my lap and I've been able to talk the gospel. God did it twice for me this week. And, and, and I just feel like these were rare opportunities that God just kind of continues to put people in my place in a place. And it's because I feel like we're slowing down enough to say, God, help me. Give me clarity. Where are you at? Two minutes at the beginning of your day, two minutes at the middle of your day or in the evening, just to be quiet and to sit with him would be crucial for us and one way to stop and breathe and gain clarity. Now, Rich is going to come up and sing, and then we're going to give you one thing as we close, but I think this is a great opportunity to remind yourself as we sing this song that it's an anthem. It's a proclamation of what we truly believe, that God has not left us, that he is truly in charge, and as we walk through these times, we can trust him with it. So if you would, stand with us as we close out with worship this morning.